and welcome to Tomorrow with Rovio. I'm your host, Ben Mattis. Now, if you've played any Grand Theft Auto game, and let's be honest, chances are you have, you've experienced the world's characters and stories created by today's guest, Laszlo, an executive producer, director, and writer who spent more than 19 years with Rockstar Games working on most everything they've put out in that time. In addition, he's been a nationally syndicated radio host and inducted into the Museum of Television and Radio as a pioneer in broadcasting. Now, prior to that, he tells us, he worked the grill at Sonic, made really good pizza at Godfather's Pizza, and has also more crazy stories than anyone I've ever had the pleasure to meet. And he was an absolute blast to talk to. Welcome to the show, Laszlo. I do. Have you been to a Sonic? Do they have those up in Canada? They don't, but I have been to them when I've been in the States, yeah. Oh, it's a it's a magical place of heart disease. It's, uh... <laughs> I'll have a bacon double grease burger, please, but can you like put extra grease on it? Because otherwise it's really kind of flavorless. Yeah, it was. What was good is they had a soda fountain, so you could make your own like vanilla, oh, cherry, yes. limeade things. Yes. Yeah, um, they just opened up around the corner from me here two New York style pizza joints, and they both basically are competing for like the New York slice and soda. And one of them has the soda fountain where they make these kind of fancy different sodas. And it's it's like it's not a common thing either anymore or in Canada. But yeah, like I can't get a homemade soda other than this place. My kids love it. It's good, and um, it brings on the diabetes, which I'm fond of, you know. If I could just mainline sugar for a living. Uh, In case people out there aren't familiar with you and your background, can you give us a sort of overview, you know, TLDR of your career, sort of where you got started, what you did, kind of softball warm-up opening question. Just let us know a little bit about you and what you've done. Um, Well, as I said, I started in uh, pizza and hamburgers, and um, I went to journalism school at the University of Missouri and um, broke up from a terrible relationship and listening to rock power ballads on the radio, I went and visited a radio station and said, uh, can I work for free? And they said, perfect, excellent, <laughs> come right in. Um, and so, Yeah, so I started working in uh, radio while I was in college, and then uh, this is in in the middle of Missouri, where I went to journalism school. And then I uh, moved to New York and to join a a, a radio company there, and this is 95, started started a show called The Technophile, which was a daily radio feature about uh, the future of the internet and technology and video games, uh, which a lot of people uh, weren't really talking about a whole lot in 95, um, and that soon was on 150 stations worldwide, and I was uh, traveling to all sorts of video game conventions around the world uh, where they give people in the press free shrimp mm-hmm. uh, and all-you-can-drink um, margaritas. Uh, and, um, God, and this feels like a lifetime ago, though, right? Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> you know, if you think about... If you think about how exciting technology conferences were, and then they they changed rapidly, you know, like going to conventions, people after a while said, this is kind of, this stinks. I'm in Las Vegas for four days. I get three hours of sleep a night. I'm really hungover. And then I spend all day on a convention floor with these Mm -hmm. sodium halide lamps cooking my brain um, and, you know, getting barraged by uh, PR people. Mm -hmm. I've been to E3. Yeah, those early E3 days. My first E3 was in Atlanta, and then as E3 progressed, it got bigger and bigger, and it became so loud you couldn't even do interviews no. on the 
convention floor, but it was good fun. Yeah, for, sure. it was good fun for a while. Um, my favorite convention was um, CBIT, which is in Germany, oh. and that that was amazing because you got to see future tech. You know, three or four years down the line, they would have a, a whole convention hall with upcoming tech, and that's that's where I met the inventor of the MP3. Um, as that was in the early days, um, his name is Carl Heinz Brandenburg. And when I saw that, I go, I got to get out of radio because we are doomed. (laughs) (laughs) And those first devices were amazing. They go, look at this. We can store an entire album on this one device, 10 songs. And um, I was like, well, that's- I had an early MP3 CD player, right? Where you could burn MP3s on the CDs so you could fit hundreds of them on a CD. But it was really just like, the worst user interface you could possibly imagine, you know, no screen, no touch, no feedback. And you're trying to skip through like your 200 MP3s on this CD. It was just horrible. (laughs) Yeah. You know, some of the tech that I saw at those conventions, Seagraph had a lot of uh, really amazing virtual reality stuff in the early days. And um, of course there was a a lot of uh, cool tech uh, for gaming at some of those conventions, but I remember there was a guy who showed me this device that he invented for gaming. And he said, this is going to be great for PC gaming. What it is, it's a box that emits smells. So while you're playing a game, it's got all these olfactory senses in it. And so if you're in a car and you're spinning the wheels, it'll smell like burnt rubber. Uh, And I was like, you know, some of the games I play, I I don't know if I really want to smell what's going on in this situation. Yeah. You know? So okay, so you're going to all these conferences as 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 a journalist and, and radio host and personality. Um, somewhere along the way, you made yet another jump um, into into games. Was that due to the MP3, or was that due to something else? How did you how did you make that next jump from radio to video games? Yeah, I have never consciously sought to get into an industry. I just sort okay. of fell into it, uh, and you know, the opportunities sort of popped up. I was doing the Technophile, going to a lot of conventions, and I was surfing uh, by my house in Long Beach, New York, which is uh, off of Long Island. And I met this guy in the water, and the waves were amazing. And we were both saying, oh, the waves are going to be great for the next few days. It really sucks because I have to go to L.A. Uh, he says, yeah, I'm going to L.A. too. Um, I said, are, are you going out there for E3? And he goes, oh, yeah, you know, we just uh, started a video game company two or three years ago, and uh, I'm going to be out there. And I said, oh, I do a syndicated, you know, feature where I uh, talk about video games and and technology. Um, And he ended up being one of the uh, founders of Rockstar Games. And he said, oh, you you know, you should should pop into our office. So I popped into their office to do uh, an interview for my show. Um, and then, you know, met some of the creative team and we clicked and next thing I know, I'm, you know, writing some radio with those guys and never saw the game. I didn't, I really didn't know what, what game I was working on. I saw it sort of in the distance, uh, in the office, but the night that the game came out, my friend who I'd met in the water, uh, drove by and dropped off a disc and I popped it in and that was Grand Theft Auto 3. Uh, and my head was blown. I was like, I can't believe I have I was involved in this uh, this amazing thing. Yeah. Um, Tiny and little it just, indie title there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just sort of like, you know, normally everything I do is a complete failure. Um, yeah. 
so that you know started the journey of working with them, and I worked with uh, with Rockstar Games for nineteen years. So wow. it was. Uh, and were was you? Amazing. Did you game? Like, would you have described yourself as a gamer before that point? Did you actively he, play? Yeah. So I started playing games early on. My father was a huge uh, tech nerd, and um, he had one of these teletypewriter computers. It's basically like an electric typewriter with an acoustic modem that you take the handset and you, oh you put it in there. And so the, the thing would dial a server somewhere in Kansas. Um, instead of printing to a screen, it printed on continuous paper with you know holes on the side fed from a box. So you'd enter a command and play a game like you know cards or tic-tac-toe or something. It would have to print each screen on the paper. And this is back when long distance bills were like a thing, right? Where you mm-hmm. could you could uh, run yourself out of house and home based on your long distance bill. So, so my father and I got involved in that, um, and then I got a Tandy TRS eighty, uh, which loaded games on cartridge or via cassette tape, which was hysterical. And then started playing text games on BBSs, where a friend would have a computer, I would dial in. You know, you'd play a game where you had a castle and then land and some soldiers, and then you'd log on the next day. And then you'd see some other guy had hacked your, you know, or had attacked your castle and murdered half your people. And um, so that was, those were some of my my first gaming experiences. And also at the time, I subscribed to magazines that would print code in them. And then I you were expected yep. to retype the code, yep. which would take hours. Yeah, and you make it. one little mistake and the whole thing doesn't compile. Right, exactly. It's just like marriage. Um, <laughs> and so, um, so I... I, I did that. I mean, I grew up around computers and cops, which it's yeah. kind of funny that I later sort of got in, in, involved in what I did. Um, my father was in charge of all the computers for the city of Oklahoma City uh, Police Department. Uh, okay. uh, so on the weekends, I would be at the police station because, you know, a lot of computer work has to happen on, on weekends. And it was one of those massive computer rooms with the spinning tapes uh, on the walls and all the blinky lights and— um, and then also my my father was uh, on the SWAT team, so I was involved in SWAT team exercises uh, as a kid because, you know, they would have these training exercises where they would use flash boom grenades, which was pretty awesome. Um, it it kind of sounds like you had an awesome childhood. Like, I don't know all the specifics, but I think a lot of kids would be like, hold on, your dad's like in charge of all the computers, is crazy about video games. He's on the SWAT team and you have unlimited access to all of this crazy stuff in the police force. Yeah, sign me up, man. (laughs) I, I would imagine a lot of people listening to this probably think about, they probably don't think about games audio and they probably don't think about game narrative beyond like, oh yeah, well, like someone's gonna you know, write some lines and then like someone's going to record some stuff and then like some programmer's going to click some buttons and then the game has audio. So yeah, okay, that's cool. Do you want to take a few minutes to talk about kind of the reality of that at any point in time in your career? Do you have any stories about the sort of scope and scale of putting together uh, a big narrative experience that, that you think would be interesting and educational for the people listening to this? Um, well, you know, I've prided myself over the years of not being uh, interesting or educational. Um, <laughs> well, there's a good, there's a, there's a good thing to aspire towards. <laughs> well, you know, in terms of game audio, you know, I was asked a question the other day of, you know, how long does it take to write and, and record audio for a video game? And, and the, you know, for, for any AAA game, it takes years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you have to have the infrastructure to tackle that in a smart way. Um, 
know, when I worked at an advertising agency before video games, I really pushed to have a recording studio built on site, you know, because when, when you're spending four to $500 an hour to rent a studio to do voiceover, you know, you're under the gun. Uh, you don't have the luxury of taking extra time to get things right. Absolutely. Uh, and if you have other ideas during the recording session um, and you are working out of your own space, you can say, hey, you know, let's spend 20 minutes at the end and riff on some things. And um, so, you know, I was, felt that having your own recording studio was key. A lot of projects over the years, I recorded stuff in my home studio, right. including just grabbing neighbors' kids and saying, here, I need, you know, a, a funny line from, from from a kid, which was cool because, you know, a lot of a lot of the kids on my block were involved uh, in some pretty funny projects over the years. And would you use these lines that you sort of gorilla grabbed, like from, you know, whatever kids on the street or, or, or whatnot, or, or even just riffing yourself in your own home recording studio, would that stuff ship or, or would it be like placeholder that you would then replace, you know, with a, a, a real voice actor in a, in another recording studio down the line when you were kind of closer to, to whatever, closer. In, oh in no, that, that was the, the joy of it. No, it, it, it went into projects, whether, nice. you know, I was, uh, for my nationally syndicated radio feature, I had a uh, a comedy talk show that was on K Rock and satellite radio for a lot of years, and we would do skits um, and funny promos. And I would, you know, just grab people to to take part in that. You know, that's one of the things that I always loved is finding real people to record uh, and make interesting things. And I think you know that's one of the the keys is. Authenticity. I mean, for for games, you know, having tight copy with a lot of variations is important. But but having good actors, whether it's right. you know somebody that you can that you can coach, or you know, in, in, if you're doing some sort of you know renegade stuff, or just a a good somebody that is a working actor, um, you know, and uh, I'm not you know talking about like celebrities. Uh, um, that's that's often counterproductive to the mm-hmm. creative process. Like regular working actors can bring the smallest role uh, to life. And, you know, in the case of a, a large game, you've got a ton, ton of roles. Because one of the things I really enjoy is when you have a script that you think is great uh, and the actor then takes it to new amazing places, ad-libbing, you know, bringing it to life, especially with comedy. You know, when I see these productions in TV and video games where the writer thinks their stuff is brilliant and the actors have to recite it word for word, it's it's kind of a shame because some of the best stuff that I've worked on over the years in radio and TV and video games is uh, things that went in really funny, amazing directions because the actor just ran with it right. and took it to, right. to took it to a whole new level. And in some cases, you'll have a small small part that uh, you know just a, a working actor comes in and takes it to such an incredible place that you you go, you know, we should increase this character. We should do more for this. Right. Yeah, you can be really agile with that. Yeah. Well, actually, it, it makes me think of something while you were talking about that. I just read this the other day. I had no idea this was the case, but uh, the developer of, you know, a current, you know, hotness, my son's playing it called Hades. They, they've made Bastion. They've made, you know, a, a bunch of sort of cool, great games on, on, on Steam mostly. They have like a resident in-house voice actor, like salaried, I, I believe, who uh, works at the company. He certainly voices most of their major characters, you know, all of their heroes, um, does some narration stuff, does some other character stuff. I don't know if he does work beyond that, um, but he's, he, I think he's an employed 
like a salaried employee of the company. And I had never, I had never seen that before in a game development studio. And I thought it was really, really cool. Like they talk about an opportunity to integrate narrative and voiceover and performance into the deeply into the creative process rather than have it as a service. Right. I, I thought that was really cool. Um, but can you talk a little bit about like your creative process? I mean, humility aside, I'm going to say you're a creative person. You don't have to accept the praise, but I'm just going to say it. Um, and so because you're a creative person, you have a creative process. Uh, you might not necessarily think of it as a process, but I'm wondering if there are certain ways that you found worked for you in terms of how you like to work over the years beyond, for example, having quick access to recording and, and being able to sort of stay flexible. Anything else that jumps out as, as, as a Laszlo way of working? Um, well, you know, in the early days of radio production, um, the creative process was brainstorming over beers and cigarettes <laughs> with my mentor. Um, there's a woman named Bonnie Tapper who I owe my creative journey to. She she taught me how to write and produce for radio. Uh, we're still close to this day, but you know that's when you could smoke cigarettes in a radio station, which was felt very rock and roll. Very um, rock and roll. But then later, you know, in the early days of sort of working on video games, it was writing sessions with, you know, anchovy, onion pizza, a case of Diet Coke and cigarettes. Uh, and then it then transitioned into smoothies and barbecue tofu, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, as we all sort of like lose our souls slowly. Um, you know, for the creative writing and audio editing, uh, I used to work in an office or at home, but I found it way more productive as for the creative process to escape and go to a cabin in the woods, turn okay. off the phone, uh, turn off the internet, and just plow through things uninterrupted. Um, interruption is the kryptonite to, to the creative process because we're constantly interrupted by the internet, our smartphone. Um, it's the reason we don't give full attention to much of anything, anything anymore. Yeah. And when you get rid of all that for even an hour and focus, uh, it, it, helps, it helps immensely. Okay. Um, let's just talk for a second about characters and narrative. Um, is there a reason why you and, and to a certain, like, like why you guys did that well? Is there something about developing memorable characters and memorable dialogue that you guys sort of mastered the art of that other people just don't get? Or is it just you put in the time? Is, is it just a question of time or is there something special? Because you got, I mean, you had very memorable characters and very memorable dialogue in a lot of games. It's not like it was a, it's not like it was a fluke, right? Well, I mean, I think the key to any successful production, whether it's uh, TV, movie, video games, um, is having an awesome team of producers who mm -hmm. keep the creative team productive and organized. And, you know, I say this as a so-called creative person. Uh, creatives are like dogs. They're capable of some really brilliant things if you point them in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But if left to their own devices, they'll chase their tail and eat cat poop. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I was fortunate to work with a lot of talented people during my career in broadcasting and video games that, um, you know, environments where anyone could, on the team could put an idea out there. Okay. And, you know, to make a cohesive product whether it's a radio show or a video game, and, and is just, you know, making sure that there's a consistent tone. You know, I was fortunate to work with some creative geniuses at the top um, who kept an eye on making sure that, that the tone was consistent. And, you know, whatever era or place that you're writing about, 
Um, you have to immerse yourself in it. You know, it goes back to what I was saying about turning off your phone and and so forth. Um, part of my process starts with newspapers. Okay. Um, you know, there's a there's a Library of Congress newspaper archive called Chronicling America, and you can enter any region and time frame and read daily newspapers going back 30 or 130 years. Uh, so if you have a character from Nebraska in the 1960s, you can go read the newspapers that that person would have been reading, um, which is hmm. extremely helpful in cementing you in the time and you know and the environment that that character would have lived in. That's super um, cool. Rather than trying to see the world through modern lenses, you know we mm-hmm. have these because we've seen so so many movies. Uh, we have this idea. This is what the 60s were like. This of is what course. the 70s were like. This is what the 1890s were like. But then when you when you actually read newspapers from that period, it opens up a lot of things that you weren't aware of and helps guide the narrative. Plus, it's just funny <laughs> in some cases. Oh, seeing, I'm sure you get some great stories out of there, right? Some great little uh, snippets yeah, and, and ideas. And, and, yeah, and you know, especially advertising. I mean, the, the, the advertising over the years. Is, and as a person who you know, went to school and studied journalism and advertising. It's one of the reasons I love making spoof commercials. The fact that there used to be cigarette commercials on TV, right. you know, just <laughs> those, those Marlboro commercials are amazing. Like uh, I was, I was watching one the other day where there was some, uh, there, there was some cows in Montana that they couldn't get to, to feed because of the snow. So these guys in a helicopter just, flew over the cows and pushed a bunch of bales of hay out. Like, yep, the cows are fed. <laughs> it's That's Marlboro what, kind of day. It's, it's, it's Marlboro time. <laughs> uh, so, so that sounds, I have, I have a question here, which is like, do you have a, a standout story from a, a, an ad um, uh, or, or a character that really um, stuck with you? So that sounds like it's, the, it's, it's an ad. Do, do you have a favorite character that you sort of wrote or participated in writing over the years? Um, one that you felt you guys did a really good job of capturing that you like, you like sort of seeing live on maybe in fan media or, you know, whatever, and kind of take on a new life online? Um, wow. You know, I loved creating characters on, uh, on the radio and, and TV and, and also, you know, characters that appear in the world that you come across and get asked to do, you know, side missions for. Those were quite fun. And, and also making a radio commercial to spoof something and then finding, finding out that that really resonated with people. So, for instance, I did this radio commercial that was a, a spoof of anime, right? How mm-hmm. ridiculous. It was a movie trailer for anime. And I met this woman who was cosplaying as that character. Um, and I was like, amazing. She brought it to life. I said, we have to turn this into a cartoon. This has to be a real anime cartoon that we make and spoof. And, you know, it was always fun doing that. And then also, you know, I appeared as myself throughout the, throughout the Grand Theft Auto series, starting with Grand Theft Auto 3. Um, and then with, with GTA 5, I was... A character in you know I, I appeared as myself in the missions and mm-hmm. w- which was a lot of fun and exciting and you know got to do motion capture but um, the downside of it I was I'd meet strangers and they would say oh you're Laszlo I'd say yeah and they're like yeah I tattooed a penis on your chest in that game <laughs> and uh, I was like well uh, nice to meet you uh, thanks at least it was your for- chest and not your face like that could have been worse and um, 
I'd say, you know, I'm not actually going to lift my shirt and show you if, if it's, if it's, it's there for real. But it, one of the things I love about, you know, radio, it's an intimate medium. Video games, you have, uh, you have people that when you play a game, you have such an intimate connection with it and, and with the, with the characters. And it's, uh, it's fun to be. It's fun to be a part of that, you know. Yeah. And the the, the the thing that was really fun about working on video games is that you're a small piece in this amazing creative machine with brilliant women and men coming together to Absolutely. to create a to create a world. Yeah. Um. And to just to be a small part of that was, was an honor. I mean, so the story about the the, the penis on the chest and the, the anime. <laughs> oh, great! We're going there. <laughs> we're going to dig in, dude. You can't you can't lob that one out there and not expect a follow up. Um, well, actually, it 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 it's it's not going to go deep into that. It's more those are fans, right? Like for better or for worse, those people are fans and fandom. Um, it's it's an interesting sort of double edged sword, right? Uh, it brings with it some awesome opportunities and it brings with it some real challenges. Um, do you have any thoughts about the story outside the story, the, the, the stories that people started building with, for example, you know, any of the GTA games as, as their inspiration, whether it be on Reddit threads or fan art or fan fiction or cosplay or anything like that. Do you have any thoughts about that and the role of fandom as it ties back into the creative process? Is it something that you like to look at and pay attention to, or do you want to block it off because you don't want it to sort of color your thinking? Uh, yeah, I guess I'm just sort of wondering what are your thoughts about kind of fan culture in general? Well, one of the things that I love is seeing people take something that you've created and do something else with it, Cool, right? Which is part of the great one of the great things about the internet is people take existing IP and then put their own spin on it. Um, it and and working on those projects and seeing somebody take something that you've helped build and take it in a completely new direction was amazing. You know that the the rise of Twitch and YouTube culture has been fun to watch because people then use things that you've worked on and created. Um, to do their own entertainment, yeah, you know, they're basically doing a, a TV show where they're playing, you know, your game and doing stand-up comedy. And you know, video games are such an intimate medium that you have an emotional bond and and relationship with. And the thing I love about interactive storytelling is that you're in it and you can control the narrative. You know, I, I besides not being able to sit still. I I can't go to the movies, uh, you know, okay, even pre pre COVID, because I I can't control the character. It just feels a bit powerless to me, you know. Um, I like games that have multiple endings, you know, ones that narrative changes based on decisions you make. Now, on the other side, the cons are the same as anything. The internet somehow convinced people that it's okay to be really mean and hostile to strangers, you know. Yeah. Uh, social media is like monetized outrage. People have very strong opinions on creative projects, movies, and games. You know, it, it always makes me sad when I see people publicly trashing creative work, uh, whether it's a TV show, a movie, or a video game. It's, you know, if you don't like something just and it offends you, turn it off yeah, and, exactly. and move on to something else in your life rather than spending your precious moments on earth preaching from the rooftops that a piece of entertainment wasn't to your liking. Um, it's, uh, 
to, to be nice is what yeah. I'm saying, especially you to you, Ben. I've, I've read some of your threads <laughs> online and it's, uh, I don't know if you have a drinking problem or what the issue is. Oh, I just, I have this hatred in me and I just have to <laughs> let it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Um, do you, <laughs> we, we could have a conversation about to or to read or to not read the comments, but, um, let's move on. Actually, I, I just want to say one point. Um, uh, well, quick question. Do you consider yourself a storyteller? Um, uh, yes. Okay. I so, do. So this was not planned at all, but this is really interesting because, um, we did a, a uh, we have another guest and we, we've done another interview with a storyteller, um, uh, Neil Blomkamp actually. And, uh, a lot, the, the conversation went in sort of similar places and he comes to the table with a completely different point of view and, and, and it's completely sort of circumstantial. Um, that, uh, you know, that you guys, both storytellers, both sort of craftsmen, highly creative people have very, very different views on, uh, sort of the value of storytelling inside of games and interactivity and the role of the storyteller. So I don't know, maybe you'll get a kick out of that when it's, uh, when it's out. I don't know when that'll be, but it was a fun conversation for sure. That's one of the things that's been fun this summer uh, and sort of, you know, seizing the opportunities um, from an unfortunate, you know, situation of being trapped in the house and not being able to go out and eat chicken wings at a bar is I've met some of the heroes um, that, you know, that I've always looked up to in the, in the video game industry from, you know, I've, uh, I've had chats and meetings with some of the folks from id, you know, that, that changed my life with the doom and, and quake games. And some, you know, I've, I've met some of the pioneers that created the call of duty franchise, um, mm-hmm. and, and met some people at, at Epic games that are doing incredible stuff, um, with the, with the unreal engine um, that I think is going to. I'm really excited about the potential for storytelling in in and outside of of games, uh, cool. and it's been cool to you know to meet some of those people. But it's difficult not to be a fanboy, you know. Oh man, I hear um, you. <laughs> it's really difficult not to be a fanboy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, you were just talking. You were talking a little bit about um, all these cool, influential people that you've been talking to, or inspirational people, maybe more more importantly. So, um, any trends in gaming? or entertainment in general right now that you're really excited about? You talked a little bit about Twitch and YouTube. Anything else that you're looking at and saying, wow, man, I can't wait to see where that goes? Um, I love uh, the storytelling in games, and it's been interesting to watch how Hollywood has tried to make movies about video game franchises. Um, With the direction that things like Unreal are going there's a there's an amazing opportunity to not only have an interactive experience where you make decisions but then do storytelling outside of that you know using those same those same assets mm-hmm. that stuff really excites me i mean you know I, I going back many years seeing entertainment that was made off a video game franchise i mean like the first cartoon from a video game was pac-man in 1982 mm-hmm. um you know that only lasted two seasons but how many stories can you tell about a character that has an eating disorder and runs around in the dark doing hallucinogens and eating ghosts? Um, at two seasons worth, at least, actually. Well, you know, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was basically me, and it's basically me in college. But I like that trend. But I also like, you know, I play the Switch every day, cool. um, and I I love seeing 
games that aren't so graphics dependent. I mean, there yeah. was for, there for a while, if you remember, it was uh, it was all about the graphics. Absolutely. You know, I spent a, a metric ton of money on video cards uh, to have this amazing graphical experience, and then. You know, I, these games uh, that are coming out in the past few years may not have the slickest graphics and may feel a little bit cartoony, but they're super fun. Yeah, um, fun first, and, absolutely. Yeah, and one of the reasons I love the Switch is that those old games are being re-released. I've played all the all the Dooms this summer, but also people are creating uh, new titles inside some of those old engines. Like, I don't know if you played Ion Fury, but that game was a blast. I don't think I did, no. It was on like, I think they made it on the old Duke Nukem engine. Okay. Um, but, was uh, that like 3D Realms or something, right? Yeah, it just, but super fun and funny. Uh, and, you know, again, the graphics are, you know, sort of that old school wonky, but it's engaging and fun and you, you, you know, you don't want to put it down. Um, you know, we have to acknowledge, I think, that the way people make games now, most games, has changed, right? That this idea of, of you know, you go to the store and you pay fifty nine ninety nine and you get a disc and you put it in your tray and you play it until you've won or you've finished and then you take it out. Those days are evolving towards games as a service and live platforms and games that are always on and they're always updating and and you know they're 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 live they're living online experiences so can you talk at all about some of the opportunities and challenges of narrative inside this sort of new this new paradigm of gaming these always on always evolving game experiences yeah you know as you mentioned back in the old days when you finished a game, you know, it, it went gold. Uh, the factory starts stomping out discs. And that was that, you know, you head to the Caribbean and swim with dolphins and drink margaritas out of traffic cones, you know. Um, but the, the, as you do. Um, yeah, as one does. Tuesdays. But, you know, the challenge for writers these days is that you're just not, concer- you're not just concerned with the main narrative, but also other directions and storylines that this could take. It's, it's very similar to TV uh, in this way, you know, you need a much better grasp of the characters uh, and where they could evolve years down the line uh, while keeping an eye on continuity and not writing yourself into a corner. In years past, when I would play a game that I'd worked on and the credits would roll, I'd get really sad and, and mm-hmm. teary because, you know, it felt like I, I worked with some amazing people. Uh, we created this incredible world together. And now I have to move out of town because the game's over, you know? Um, but these days, all these amazing games with DLC and continued updates and services, the, the world stays alive. But, you know, it's a challenge in, in TV or interactive to look forwards and backwards at the same time, you know, and keeping the next project going while supporting the previous one. You were talking about television and, and the idea of sort of, you know, having to have uh, in TV these days a kind of much more... Uh, richer understanding of your characters and a kind of like longer term progression arc and like not, you know, whatever, write yourself into corners and that kind of thing. And I can just, I'm interested in, you know, being a sort of fly on the wall in in the Fortnite narrative team's room, because on the one hand, it's not your typical narrative game. Like they don't have a ton of characters and dialogue and all that sort of stuff where they have to, you know, whatever, do mocap or write lines or whatnot. But on the other hand, I think their world 
has been absolutely a storyteller for the last few years, right? You know, the black hole event in the cube and all this sort of stuff. Like they've absolutely kept their fan base deeply engaged in the sort of world as narrative, or almost like almost like like the platform is the narrative. Um, and it's really interesting. And I would assume that they absolutely have these big beats lined out for multiple seasons moving forward. Um, and, and so, no, it's not, it's not your typical story and it's not your typical, you know, recording studio, but, but, but it's a different type of storytelling. And, and I find it fascinating. I, I, I think this new era of sort of platform narrative or world narrative or evolving narrative with, with the service as a, as a part of the storytelling is, is really interesting. I'm just wondering if you have, ever thought about that or do, do, you, do you spend any time thinking about that or is your focus primarily on the characters and on the um, the lines, the, the things that they say? Well, I mean, you know, back in the old days, you would create these characters and not really think about the future uh, <laughs> of, you know, because it was very much a, a one-off. Um, and, you know, as I said, it's now it's very similar to mapping out seasons of a TV show. Uh, you better have a grasp of the the arc of all these things and where they're going. Um, you know, I love hearing stories about people working in movies or TV or video games where they're in a tough spot because mm-hmm. of things that happened in the previous work that nobody's raised a red flag about, you know? And then, you know, you have to sort of come up with creative solutions to, like— well, that guy, he wasn't dead. He was sleeping. It's like, well, he had an axe in his face. <laughs> it's all uh, a dream. Well, no, that that really wasn't her. It was her identical twin that got thrown into the wood chipper. Um, whew, problem solved. <laughs> uh, um, so, and I, I think the tricky thing, and as you say, I think the Fortnite uh, folks have done a good job about that, is, is, is mapping things out, but also not repeating yourself. Um, you know, when you... When you work on something that's successful, there's this tendency to get nostalgic about it, okay, uh, and you know, put it up on a pedestal. I think you can, you know, you can run into into creative problems in that way when you're sort of looking back on something uh, as okay, that thing was perfect, and and you can sometimes fall into the trap of trying to recreate that, right. uh, and you end up sort of copying yourself and. Which is why with any project that I've worked on in radio or TV or video games uh, is to not obsess and and focus on the successes of the past, um, but to be thinking about, you know, the the now and the future and how can you create something something new that's entertaining while also being very cognizant that if you get it wrong— the internet will hate you. <laughs> they will let you know there is no escaping. Um, so we've we've talked a lot about uh, your past. We've talked a lot about the future, um, I guess, sort of in generalities. Do you want to talk at all about sort of your future, like where you want to go, the kinds of things you want to explore, the kinds of projects you're excited about working on in the future? Anything there that you want to you share? Um, wow. You know, I've never done a very good job of thinking about the, the future. Um, <laughs> no problem. Um, <laughs> well, it's, um, uh, you know. Tomorrow's I, hard. T- tomorrow is hard. It um, is. And especially with the way that things have changed um, in the interactive industry, 
you know, in the TV industry. Um, you know, one of the things I really loved uh, about the games that I worked on is making, you know, radio shows and, and cartoons that you could experience in that world. And I've been working on some scripts with some different folks, um, you know, for uh, cartoons and live action cool. shows. You know, cartoons and animation is an industry that is still going strong. Absolutely. You know, you don't have to motion capture. Uh, you don't have to bring a lot of people to a, a live set. You know, that I have some friends that are actors and, you know, when they are working on a project now, they fly to this, uh, some location, whether it's in Vancouver or Atlanta, and you, you know, you live in a bubble. You're basically sat in a hotel room for two weeks quarantining uh, and then do the, you know, then do the shoot. Uh, it's, everything takes twice as long as it needs to. And the logistics are super difficult. Um, whereas in animation, you know, people can work from their, from their homes, you know, collaborate across the globe um, and make that stuff. So I think animation is going to continue to grow, uh, yeah. you know, partially because the technology makes it a bit easier to make. Um, and then you have exciting developments, like I mentioned with the Unreal Engine. Absolutely. Uh, that can uh, give you a lot of opportunities for, for narrative storytelling. You know, I always, I have this battle every night. Do I watch some more Netflix or do I play some more video games? Um, and it's, I've loved video games since I was a, a kid running around the homicide office at the police department. Um, and, w- you know, when I meet people that say, oh, I don't have time to play vid- video games, you know, that's a, that's a complete uh, waste of time. It always, it hurts me uh, a bit because it's such a fun medium that is, you know, that you have logistics and problem solving and you're, you're sitting there engaged Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and when people say like, I don't have time for video games, it's like, well, you just spent all day Saturday, uh, mainlining Funyuns and Coors Tallboys and watching, uh, the British baking show eight <laughs> episodes in a row. So <laughs> somehow you don't have time to, so how are you a better person? Right. That? So you don't have time to be involved in something that you have to solve a puzzle and, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, think about, uh, how your team is going to break into that castle. Um, uh, so I guess I just want to throw out there a closing, uh, catch all. Is there anything you wish we had talked about? Anything you would wish you'd had the opportunity to explore or say that you didn't get the chance to do? Wow. Boy, that's a, that's a good one. Um, no, I think you covered it. We talked about, uh, uh, hostage situations. Yeah. Check. Uh, uh, pizza and yep. junk food. Yeah. Logs. Um, Logs, mm-hmm. uh, cores, tall boys, yep. murder. Yeah, lots, uh, lots of talk about murder, cops uh, and SWAT teams. We uh, threw in uh, some uh, little stuff about video games in there as well. And, you know, that was interesting. And, um, oh yeah. And then uh, putting twins through a wood chipper. Yes, so, yes. Well, um, it wouldn't uh, be yeah, a conversation with Laszlo if it weren't, if it didn't include the, <laughs> the chin, twins and the wood chipper reference. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I, I, I've, it's been an honor working with the, the amazing, talented people um, that I've met and, and being involved in, in the projects that I've been involved in on, on uh, you know, such a small scale. Um, you know, to, to, to make those games, you, you need a lot of talented people um, working in unison. Um, and it's been life-changing. Uh, you know, whenever I speak at NYU, I come in and speak to the video game class. And they, they always ask, like, you know, how do I get involved in video games? And I said, well... 
I was supposed to be working, but I was goofing off surfing uh, and met somebody that, you know, it ended up uh, changing my life and my career trajectory. So the lesson from that is don't work so hard and go do fun things because you end up meeting interesting, fun people uh, and it, it can evolve into uh, into some amazing things, you know, more so than just sitting on LinkedIn and trying to make friends. I mean, that's, yes. you know. <laughs> yes, I, One, 100%, yes. Um, but I, you know, you and I are friends now because uh, because we connected on LinkedIn. Um, it's uh, <laughs> Well, it's not it's, completely useless, but. <laughs> it's not completely no, I useless. I agree, and it, it factors back to what we were saying before, like fun, value fun, value play, right? If you have fun and play together with people first and foremost, and then, oh, it just so happens that you guys have something in common and, oh, actually what you're good at has value to that person. I think that's a much more sort of natural in than the LinkedIn reach out of, hey, how can I, how can I bring value to you? How can I solve a problem you're currently facing? Which does feel sometimes a little, a little forced. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's exciting watching the interactive industry. Uh, you know, there's so many innovations and, and that's why, you know, I love all the projects that I've worked on, but things evolve with technology and you have so much more interesting functionality uh, in games uh, and interactive experiences that you didn't used to have. You know, I'm, totally. I'm excited about this voice cloning technology where you can read a few sentences into a computer yes. and then just type in words and it's yes. your voice saying yes. that stuff deep um, fake I'm, audio yeah yeah that's I'm, gonna well, be crazy i'm you know i've i've made my uh, an alexa with my own voice and i just scream at myself all day um which is which is lots of fun i can't wait to have that in the game where, where where the voices are 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 all sorts of people from my life rather than voice actors i've never met i think that could bring a really interesting sort of sense of immersion depending on the type of game right if i want to get immersed in the fantasy then, then I want the I want the actors. But if if I'm playing an Among Us or a Fall Guys or something like that, I think it'd be a ton of fun if you were writing the lines, but it sounded like my wife yelling them in my ear. <laughs> wow, super creepy. Yes, you know, you know me. I've got all those crazy kinks. All right, listen. Um, thanks so much, Laszlo. It has been a ton of fun to have you on the show. I learned a lot about your crazy background, your creative <laughs> process, where you see the world going. Hopefully, people um, enjoyed this chat. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I speak for all of the listeners when I say we can't wait to see uh, what you crank out next, and whether it be something I watch or play or listen to. Um, I'll be there. Excellent. Well, thank you. It was an honor uh, being on your show and to be part of this. All right. Thanks a lot. And that's it for this second episode of Tomorrow with Rovio. I'm your host, Ben Mattis, and I want to thank Laszlo for sharing his stories and his thoughts on where gaming and entertainment is going with us. And if you are curious about any of the major themes and trends that may shape the future of games and entertainment, please stay tuned for more episodes and awesome guests in the coming weeks and months. If you'd like to learn more about Rovio, you can reach out to us directly at podcast at rovio.com. And like last time, a reminder that we're hiring for a number of roles at Rovio right now across multiple disciplines and studios. You can find all about our open positions at rovio.com slash careers. Thanks a lot, everyone. Have a great evening and bye. <laughs>